0: Welcome to Reimagining the Contact Center, where you can learn from experts that are pioneering the most promising strategies to evolve your contact center and take your operations to new heights. I'm your host, Mark Bernstein, and my guest today is Tim Galeri, the Managing Director at Sierra Ventures, a venture capital firm focused on emerging technologies with over $2 billion in assets. Tim has personal experience leading and investing in contact centers as he helped build Scopus Technology, an $800 million software company for customer support. Today we'll be talking about the industry shifts in the contact center space, the growth and potential of contact center software as a service, also known as CCAS, and the importance of building a resilient operation. Hello,
1: Tim. Hey, Mark, how are you?
0: I am doing just wonderful. How are you? I'm doing great. Tim, I'm so excited to have you here. Um, and you have a really interesting perspective on what's going on in the contact center space. It, it seems like it is white hot right now, but it wasn't always that way. It wasn't like uh, any you know contact center tech could get uh, funding, especially from the VC world and the Silicon Valley world. Uh, what do you think has changed in that environment that is making the contact center space as hot as it is?
1: Yeah, actually, that's a, that's a great, uh, great question, Mark, because, uh, you know, I think uh, venture dollars and finance dollars actually follows where the money goes. And uh, what's changed over the last decade is that, and we've been seeing it as that the world has gone direct to consumers. So uh, more and more people are buying uh, goods and services, you know, directly from uh, the manufacturer or the producer. Um, uh, you've seen the boom in e-commerce happening. This is even pre-COVID, right? And uh, the second thing that's happened is that there's been a switch in the way uh, people pay for services. So the emergence of what I call the uh, subscription economy, right? So um, Uh, transactional economy is now becoming subscription. So when those two things happen, uh, the uh, relationship that a company or a business needs to have with its customers dramatically changes, because you're not a transactional uh, person anymore, I hope to keep you for many, many, many years, right. So when that happens, and these transactions are coming directly, and there's no middle layers, right, then the companies have to react uh, proactively and and really uh, rearrange how they interact with their customers. Uh, And that's, I think the business reason and the macro trends that are really driving uh, large companies to relook at their uh, contact center, which, you know, historically, like you said, has been a bit of a backwater process, Um, you know, customer support, not, not, you know, front and center with the CEO uh, today. Uh, being intimate with your customer because there are long-term relationships and they're coming directly at you. Uh, contact centers become the one of the prominent investment areas and focus areas for uh, Fortune 1000 uh, CEOs and they can only ignore it at their own peril. So when money starts flowing in that direction and interest from senior management, you see dollars flowing and that in, in turn uh, uh, starts the innovation cycle. And that's why you've seen a lot of, uh, you know, venture interest and, and overall market interest with the uh, massive uh, IPOs of, you know, companies like Ring RingCentral, uh, 8x8 and others that are doing very, very well. So there's a general interest, uh, massive interest in this category across, uh, you know, the public markets and private markets.
0: With the direct-to-consumer change, if you almost could bucket the impact into several buckets, and you could say the direct-to-consumer change in the economy is causing fundamentally a shift A, shift B, and shift C in the contact center space. You know, what do you think are the major shifts that the contact center space is making to adapt to how uh, consumers are changing their preferences for how they want to buy?
1: I think there's a couple of uh layers to your question i think the first is that uh you know direct-to-consumer was normally always thought to be uh, that's a uh, you know a, a goods or services that is you know purchased by an end consumer uh that is not the case anymore direct uh, these direct kind of channels are also affecting b2b right i'm on the board of an e-commerce infrastructure company and a third of the customer demand is coming from businesses, uh, the B2B channel, Hmm. uh, which is opening up its e-commerce interactions. um, And and therefore, uh, these, these contact center operations have to be fully functional to be able to support a customer that can shop at any time, shop in any currency, shop in any time zone. So that's the second aspect of it, which is contact centers used to be you know, let's let's uh, open up a 10,000 square foot you know, hall in Kansas City and you know put put a thousand people down and 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 that's going to be the call center um, uh, back in you know a couple of dec- decades ago. Now, because uh, the markets are global, uh, your customers can come in from uh, you know any part in the world because of the e-commerce channel. Uh, you know, your contact centers have to be multilingual. they have to cater to multiple time zones. Uh, and they have to uh, have the nuance to have the conversation, productive conversation with the end customer. And I think that is what's driving uh, the the dramatic shift uh, architecturally to the cloud-based uh, you know contact center, um, you know which I think we're going to talk about here on this podcast. Uh, but I think those business drivers, which is where your customers international will buy when they want to buy kind of the Amazon effect, if you may, right? That's what's what's trickling into every part of the industry, and that's why there's a need for the flexibility for for contact center uh, architectures.
0: Right. I was talking with a BPO today um, over ten, you know, tens of thousands of seats, mm-hmm. and um, I was asking them, "What does the modern consumer expect from a contact center interaction now? If you get a human." on chat or on phone, and you're sitting there talking to a human, you know, what do you expect? And um, I'm curious when it comes to that nuance, Tim, you know, what are the nuances that consumers expect out of the live human contact that might be different than hitting a uh, virtual agent or an IVR?
1: Well, interestingly, I think, I think uh, the expectation now is to expect the efficiency uh, of a non-human contact when you're you know on Amazon and you click a button and and the order happens. So they they expect that efficiency and they they also you know expect the, uh, the um, emotional quotient right when you know when, when they talk to a human being they, they expect the contact center agent to be hitting on on kind of the high points on both those axes, right which means that you have to come to the table as a contact center agent, Be to have the ability to do a very efficient transaction end-to-end, right? And also post-call, how the interaction, the interaction doesn't finish when you hang up. It's also what you do post-call. That's super important, right? Uh, And I, again, go back to, you know, habits getting formed by what the best in class do. So for instance, when you order on Amazon, right, the minute you order, Uh, you start getting a tracking text that says, okay, your package has reached here and the package was here. And now the package has been delivered, how was a service? So that whole interaction chain post-transaction is what uh, customers are expecting from a contact center interaction, number one. Number two is, so that's the efficiency axis, right? And the completeness axis of the transaction, whether it was a customer service call or a sales call. But overlaid on top of that, the human aspect, which is understanding what my issue is or my questions are, and delivering that in a, in a very, very meaningful and cogent way, uh, is what what the expectation is. And that's why I think some of the technologies that you know is is leading to your success in the market, which is um, almost um, knowing what the customer is gonna say and then helping them along in a very proficient way i think that's where the that's where the expectation and the puck is moving and that's why i think uh you know folks that are providing technologies that are powered by ai that makes the agent into a super agent uh because everything is moving to the cloud and because customers are coming from all directions with all kind of language skills and expectations i think contact centers are going to have to reinvent uh, and invest in this kind of technology which is you know, boards really, really well for you and uh, others that are innovating in this market. It
0: is such an interesting observation that consumers want the interaction to feel like a human interaction, but to work like a like a digital interaction. Like exactly. it should, it should have that emotion of talking to a human and feeling like someone cares about your issue, um, but the experience should mimic you know, what you have when you're online doing one-click purchasing from Amazon.
1: Exactly. Exactly right.
0: One of the things that um, I've been wondering is, you know, with the uh, way that consumers are, um, with, with all the things that they expect out of uh, the contact center experience and out of the agent, you um, is it harder to deliver a good customer experience today or has the technology and the tools met the increase in expectations that our consumers have?
1: Uh, I I think the surface is so large and, you know, the amount of innovation that's possible uh, is, uh, is is so hard to do just because it's, it's, it's very uh, it's it's very nascent in its uh, in its birth right now. I mean, these the the um, the penetration of AI and AI powered technology in a in a in a market that's you know decades old the the contact center market. Uh, you know, I I got into it in the early nineties, and you know, the state of the art used to be how fast can you transfer a call, right? It was all focused on the efficiency aspect from ACDs and dialers, inbound and outbound, and and you know uh, that was the sort of what everybody focused on. Um, now I think that is somewhat table stakes, uh, and especially so because uh, this infrastructure is moved into into the into the cloud uh, as a delivery mechanism, right? So once it moves into the cloud, all the other cloud capabilities, which is all this compute and all this uh, processing power that is sitting very adjacent uh, to your IBR and ACD infrastructure becomes available to make the life of the contact center agent better and more efficient. So this has just happened, uh, Mark, literally in the last couple of years, as you well know, that the uh, cloud uh, uh, cloud contact center as a service market, right? Uh, today, of course, it's, it's 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 growing, and it got accelerated by COVID, right? Um, it's sort of growing at thirty percent year on year, and uh, you know, sort of in that eighteen billion dollar uh, expected zone by uh, 2024, which is a massive market. But what's more interesting is that the shift uh, is is even more dramatic. Like today, it's I think in the in the in the low teens, if you think about the overall penetration between on prem and off prem. Uh, in the cloud. By 2024, it's going to be 88% in the cloud, right? So in a five-year period, it's going to have this massive shift. And in that massive shift, the the power of the cloud is going to be available to innovators like yourself that will start applying AI and AI techniques to make the contact center experience more efficient for the agent, because the agent, by the way, there's only one percent efficiency in the agent's life because of AI today, and that's expected to go into double digits, you know, uh, you know, here in the next four to five years, and that's going to come by way of the kind of things that we were just talking about, um, where uh, they are they are more complete, they're more empathetic, they're more precise, they're more endearing. Uh, to the person they're having a conversation with. And I think that'll all be delivered through uh, the efficiencies of AI.
0: If the $25 billion uh, plus CCAS market is the foundation of um, how uh, call centers are interacting with their customers and how they can deliver value to their customers, and it's a $25 billion market, what do you think the market is? for the tools and technologies and the, the cloud services that uh, kind of reach into the CCaaS ecosystem and enhance uh, different parts of, of the customer experience or um, you know, create some sort of capabilities in CCaaS that weren't previously there. What does that market look like?
1: Yeah, that that's a that's a very interesting question. Um, I actually have a relatively controversial answer to that, and I'll, I'll say it anyways. Um, many people think that the uh, that 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 uh, whatever that number is is going to be a subset of the CCAS market. I actually going to think it's going to be a multiple of the CCAS market. And, and the reason is, uh, and not to take away from the CCAS market because that's big enough to begin with, but I think that what we are talking about here is um, uh, a new signal that is being digitized for the first time, which is the human voice and everything that it, it entails. So the fact that you and I are having the conversation Thousands of conversations are being had right now. There are um, 16 million uh, call center agents that are active, as you know, in the US. So imagine all of those people are having conversations today. Billions of words are being said and uttered, right? So this layer of information is now going to get unlocked and used in a very meaningful way by AI technology, which will then create a massive set of applications on top, which will have use in making agents more efficient, it'll have use in training, it'll have use in reuse of, of knowledge, it'll have uh, use in new products and services and capabilities that can be do- delivered and be discovered in these conversational topics that, that you know agents are talking about all the time. So uh, I think that um, that unlocks so much of business value uh, that it can, in my opinion, over the next couple of decades, be many times um, uh, that of the CCAS market, which, in a way, is a picks and shovels business, right? Because it's it's pipes and it's it's processing, uh, and that 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 market is 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 directly proportional to how many agents there are and how many calls are coming in. So that doesn't grow as much, but the conversational layer, right, which is this untapped a uh, data stream that has been unlit for the last three decades suddenly gets lit going forward because you are now processing this data, digitizing it, analyzing it, and then using it for business purposes. So I actually feel we're literally in the first inning of what I will be, I, I, I will bet will be a 20 $30, 40000000000 billion market in the coming decades. And, and we're at the forefront of it. Um, and um, I'm super excited to see what uh, what the next decade brings. Fascinating. I think I'm hearing you
0: say that with the, the CCAS market, the value that you're tying, of course, is first of all, the ecosystem that enables you know all of these other uh, technologies to function and deliver value, but that the value is tied to the individual agent and the agent interactions. And that with the conversation and the voice stream um, that has previously not been uh, it's only been monetized a tiny tiny piece of what you actually could monetize it and that yeah. the upper limit of extracting value out of the voice stream and value out of the conversation is massive
1: yeah i mean i i have used this line before that it's not about the interaction it's about the conversation hmm and so the more you can unpack in the conversation the more you can analyze it the more you can digitize it the more real time your responses can be i mean honestly the 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 um the opportunity is limitless right if i went to a bank and i told them that you don't need to do surveys i can literally have you listen in do a billion conversations simultaneously, and I will tell you what your customers are asking for, by way of product, uh, for the next year. What is that worth to the portfolio manager of that of that you know multi-billion-dollar business? I can do the same in airlines. I can do the same in healthcare. I can I can I can, you know, um, take that take that those conversations and unlock directional value on which you can build business uh, value. And I think that is uh, the the untapped potential that we are talking about here. One of the
0: things that's interesting in the contact center space is how massive the market is. Um, and I think that that influences, it, it creates a very interesting competitive dynamic because on one hand, everybody is seeing this massive opportunity and, and chasing at it with their full resources and full intensity. And at the same time, the market is so big that in a lot of cases, you might not come up against competitors as often as you'd expect. Um, yeah. what, what are you seeing in the competitive dynamics and how all these different players are, are going for an opportunity? And what if you're a technology company in the contact center space should be thinking about?
1: Uh, I, I think you're right, the, uh, the market is massive and uh, this is where uh, I think multiple billion dollar companies uh, in, in revenue, I'm not talking market cap, market cap would be many, many folds of that can be built without effectively running into each other. And that, by the way, happened in the first generation of contact center markets, right? When I was, uh, you know, at, at Scopus Technologies back in, you know, which was in the uh, CRM space, uh, you know, during that time, there was, you know, um, in the in the C T I space, there was Genesis, there was Geotel, uh, you know, uh, obviously Avaya. Um, I mean, those are all still very, very large players, right? Uh, but then, you know, they, they, they continue to have massive revenue streams, and on top of that, a whole slew of new UCAS vendors came to the market and are also thriving, right? So it's a, it's a massive market uh, for sure. Uh, I think uh, we're going to see a couple of things. I think the big cloud guys are going to uh, provide, start providing uh, core infrastructure capabilities, which, you know, we can call the dial tone or robbing the dial tone. Um, and I think those are, uh, you know, and then directionally we're already seeing that. Now how successful they can be is still a question because I still feel for um, different than say, you know, uh, you are just taking AWS as an example, uh, different than, you know, the way you, you know, give compute and storage across a horizontal market, Um, call center and contact centers still happen to be very, very specialized. And so uh, the minute specialization starts happening, it falls out of the wheelhouse of these, you know, classic cloud providers. So I think that's why you're gonna see a coexistence between what I'll call specialized um, uh, you know um ccas uh and and big cloud vendors there'll, there'll be sort of competition i think they're going to exist alongside each other uh but then the innovation on top of that is going to be application companies like ours that are really building the next set of efficiencies in this new substrate uh that that is the the context center in the cloud hmm. um so my recommendation uh, to you know all the companies here is that you know you have to play your own game um, and you have to sort of define what's your what piece of this market are you gonna go after uh what is the customer segmentation uh which kind of vertical are you going to uh service um first and then you know play your own game. I, I think um the market is massive and uh, I don't think you're gonna to see too many people you know bumping into each other for market share anytime soon. Now that might start happening when you become a billion dollar company, but till you get there, I, I don't think you have anything to worry about.
0: Yeah, see you there soon. Um, with the the CRM space, one of the things that I think is is really interesting and happening in the contact center space is that um, the uh, CCAS providers, especially in the SMB market, are more and more serving as the system of record or very, very close to the system of record for, uh, for these companies. Um, but at the same time, you know, CRMs like Salesforce are making a pretty massive and it appears successful push in, into the contact center market to serve as the system of record, even though they're more expensive. Uh, do you think that the CCAS players are going to continue to go up market as a system of record? Or are they going to let... Uh, folks like uh, Salesforce come in and make room for them. How do you see that dynamic playing out?
1: No, I've actually been, uh, uh, had ringside seats on this uh, dynamic uh, before because uh, when I was at Scopus, which is effectively a generation before Salesforce.com and the CRM space, we had Genesis, uh, which is the equivalent of what, what you have today um, with Drink Central and, uh, and, and 8x8 and, and other folks. Um, talk desk. So I think, um, you know, it's natural human nature to have aspirations to eat the other guy's pie. uh, But these are such different markets and such a different sort of market motion that despite the, you know, the, the, the obvious um, uh, interest, right, by the infrastructure, guys at the infrastructure level, this would be the genesis of the old world, and, and the uh, Ring Centrals and Avaya, uh, and, and sorry, and the 8 um, Bytes of the New World, where they think they can move into the application space. The application space happens to be very domain specific because the minute you start talking about CRM, the next thing you start thinking about is CRM, uh, CRM in the context of a vertical. And then things start going you know, awry very soon if you're a CCAS provider trying to move into the CRM world. So the reason I think, uh, Mark, you're mentioning that some of the guys that are in the SMB market, they can get away with it is because the business processes are very simple. When the business process is simple. You can get away with the simple business application that you can wrap and roll and, and, and give to the customer. The minute you site's sliding into the mid-market and the upper mid-market enterprise, the divergence between what the customer expects from the business application layer is very, very different than the infrastructure uh, infrastructure layer. And that's why you don't see in the mid to the upper end of the market, uh, people kind of crossing between one and the other.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're saying that in the CRM space, the power to uh, specialize and the power to even customize a general solution for a specialized use case is going to continue to make that solution particularly compelling and be something that, uh, is going to give the CRM players a pretty good foothold in the market?
1: Yeah, and which is why I don't think you've seen, I don't think you will see Salesforce coming into the uh, in the csAS in the in the infrastructure side of the house. Uh, I don't think that's I mean they've got you know plenty of uh, innovation still ahead of them as as you've seen uh, with the acquisition of uh, Velocity, which was a vertical um, CRM company. They're further going into into vertical stacks, and um, you know, recently they've gone to collaboration with Slack, and you know, so they're trying to just be more dominant in the in the business layer where there's plenty of innovation happening.
0: How about some of the uh, really hot tech players that are uh, new to the contact center space or newer folks like RingCentral, folks like Amazon and Google what sort of dent do you see those type of companies making?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I I think they have a phenomenal run ahead of them. I think, um, you know, we (coughs) uh, have seen uh, RingCentral, you know, uh, in particular, that's done uh, extraordinarily well, uh, recently in the public market, and they are the beneficiaries of obviously what's happening, uh, you know, with, with COVID and the pressure COVID has put on remote communication. So uh, with Zoom kind of coming in and, and really you know building a massive franchise on the um, on the on the real time communication and collaboration space, that's one area that you know suddenly uh, RingCentral has occupied um, and 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 drifted into to become even more of a competitor. But then I think they've also had a you know very very sound set of partnerships that have taken them into the uh, into the into the call center world. I think that's attractive about the call center world is that these are very sticky and long-term customers, and they are large customers. So I think that's what the attraction is for companies like RingCentral and and um, uh, you know Talkdesk and others that see the need to move up market as the numbers they need to deliver to the street become larger. So I expect that uh, that trend to continue, and I do not think that. Uh, google and 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 Facebook and Azure are going to be successful in that market to back to my prior point it's a very specialized uh, uh, you know space and I don't believe uh, that's that's really something that they uh, do particularly well in um, I think these companies are great at horizontal scale out technology but when it gets to uh, vertical or vertically focused mm-hmm. applications they uh, they tend not to do well
0: with uh, you know some of the um with some of the changes that we're seeing in um, what CIOs are asking for. Uh, That's one of the things I really uh, thought is awesome about Sierra is the CIO summit that you have. Um, What are some of the things that CIOs are thinking about as they're trying to build out their tech stack in the contact center and as, as they're seeing all these different players and options emerge and trying to figure out what their priorities are and who they want to partner with?
1: I think CIOs are, um, uh, you know, uh, dramatically now, and in, in particularly what happened last year with COVID, uh, they are very focused now on uh, resilient infrastructure. Um, so they want, uh, and they are thinking of, and they are deploying uh, a lot of capital, uh, and we see this uh, on on a on a weekly basis. We have a conversation every week with one of the CIOs in our in our eighty strong uh, CIO uh, advisory board so resilience is number one and resilience actually cuts across uh, your business applications and infrastructure and people so what they want to be able to do is um, they want the entire business to be resilient so when it comes to your traditional applications they want them to be you know in the cloud so that you know, they can be multi-zone, and, and they can fail over, and they can they can they can be up and running even if you know something bad happens, um, you know, to the to the on-prem infrastructure. So that's one. But when you start moving to the contact center, um, you know, sort of uh, infrastructure, that by definition has to be pushed in the cloud, because cloud gives you resiliency on a number of fronts but the most important resiliency it gives you is actually its effect on the people aspect of things. So that's something that they had never thought they'd counter before COVID happened. And from what I read, and I was listening to Anthony Fauci's uh, uh, you know, COVID task force a conversation yesterday, and they talked about the different variants of this virus that are uh, emerging with, uh, with, with uh, you know, potentially additional, you know, um you know booster doses that you need from you know Moderna and and, and AstraZeneca etc so i came to that that this is not going to go away anytime soon and uh it might actually show up in another form which is a you know a dark day for for obviously uh, you know all of us living on planet earth, planet earth but we as business people have to plan for it so What that means is you cannot rely on this large call center with thousands of people. You have to have infrastructure resiliency that can allow you to run a massive contact center, you know, where your people could be anywhere, right? And so so that uh, resiliency is what CIOs are thinking about. And that is why you are seeing uh, a stated goal and that's why you're seeing this acceleration from 19 to 20, and the move towards contact center. I think um, that 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 transition was already on, but I think it's gone into hyperdrive uh, as we've come through the COVID time, and that momentum is going to continue.
0: And, How funny uh,
1: is it? Oh, sorry, Tim. Go ahead. No, and 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 I think it's 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 phenomenally beneficial for uh, for the contact center agent, um, both in terms of I think. Uh, how well they can do and how free they can be with their time, as you know, uh, and I've met many, many of these people that find people with great families um, working very hard hours, right? Um, very hard times, um, and and with not an enormous amount of pay, right? So it's, it's 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 a tough job, right? And as I mentioned to you, the 20 million of these people in the us doing this day in day out so to be able to use that and move that population you know where they can work from home they can have more flexible times Uh, we can reach out more into rural areas and employ more people right Uh, we can have you know our countries becoming more diverse Um, we can reach out into different communities and have different language skills represented in the call center these are all the positives that come from moving the infrastructure into the cloud, which is kind of where I think CEOs' heads are right now.
0: Yeah, I've I've talked to contact center agents who uh, will tell me that you know their commute is forty five minutes or an hour, especially by the way, in, in uh, you know rural areas, um, and you know when uh, you're not bringing home the absolute you know biggest paycheck, uh, forty five minutes or an hour. Is a huge sacrifice in terms of gas and wear and tear on the car. And it's just, and also your time. Um, so I, the the ability to make the work experience better, um, I think, is one of the things that's really special that cloud is doing right now.
1: Yeah. And I think the other, uh, to the other point I was making is, which is, you know, the digitization, right? The whole let's go digital was something that was a bit of a, uh conversational topic kind of in the back end of the last decade, but I think it's really accelerated now. And when you're putting your goods and services where customers can buy and transact over the web, your contact center and its capability to service the customers that have questions when they're buying or have bought uh and now have customer support calls, all that has to be you know equally resilient and 24 hmm. by seven because customers are not buying and expecting service 24 by seven. So I think it's uh the glory days, I think, are ahead for the contact center market and um, we're going to see a lot of innovation.
0: In yeah, it's funny. Re- resiliency used to mean I have one location in California and one location in Georgia, and that's resiliency. So if there's a hurricane, I'm covered. Um, and I think that we saw the cloud put a whole nother layer of resiliency that, that hasn't been seen before. That's correct. That's correct. I wonder if there's an even... More macro layer of resiliency, if you will. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, we're, we're talking about the ability to service your customers in any context or any environment, regardless of uh, what's happening in the world. But I wonder if there's a three year or five year resiliency that a strong context center operation can contribute to the business, almost a strategic resiliency because you have this close ear to your customers in this operation where um, where customers are calling in or you know, chatting in or whatever they're doing, and you're able to turn those interactions into uh, revenue opportunities and, and profit opportunities for the business. Is there a sort of strategic resiliency that a good contact center operation can expect to be able to weather hard times in general better? or do you think it's you know pretty focused on simply being able to do the transactions regardless of the environment?
1: No, no, I, I think um, uh, it is absolutely a, a strategic uh, impetus that the contact center has. One is, I think uh, support uh, and support, whether you're supporting a sale or you're supporting a customer that's already bought, uh, is 100% become, uh, become a key um, you know, uh, CEO level, uh, topic because of the shift to a subscription economy, when you and I can start buying cars on a subscription, you know, we've shifted to a subscription economy, right? Yes. So, so, uh, which means that customers are expecting a long-term relationship with you and you better be treating them as such, right? Because, uh, they are no longer, it's not just longer about the, about the transaction. So the lifetime value of the customer is important. And that's why the strategic nature of a contact center becomes very, very important. That's one dimension, right? The other dimension is uh, the codification of the spoken voice. And this is the first time in the history of the humankind where we've been able to codify business conversation at scale. And that is the other dimension Strategic aspect, which which is uniquely offered by a contact center, uh, which uh, because of what they do, can offer at scale these insights that are transformational to the business, well beyond shoring up that sale or saving that customer. Right? It's 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 a longitudinal uh, data stream, which when analyzed using AI and provide massive, massive uh, product ideas, service ideas, competitive ideas um, or competitive, you know, threats and how to respond to it, uh, to businesses. And I think that's where the contact center will go in the future. And I think any, um, you know, uh, head of contact center or uh, head of con- contact center operations that is listening to this or is one of your customers should be thinking that way, because uh, the next decade is, is going to be all about moving from a defensive posture, which is what contact centers have typically been in to an offensive posture, where you're actually adding to the the the, the top line of the company in many ways.
0: I was recently talking to the CIO of one of the big automakers um, in uh, w- one of the big automakers. And uh, what he was saying is that they think one of the biggest opportunities in codifying speech and, and business language is the ability to proactively pick out when a part uh, or when a part or a, a vehicle is faulty and be able to collect all of that information across thousands or millions of phone calls and be able to figure out, aha, it looks like there might need to be, a new part that is shipped out here or some sort of recall. And that the ability to do that proactively in fact is is worth many, many, many millions of dollars. Um, So the auto space is really interesting example of where codifying the human language um, has an impact, uh, not just on the revenue side, but also on the cost prevention side of being able to pick up where customers are saying, uh that that the costs are higher than perhaps they need to be
1: yeah i've always joked that uh, the contact center is uh your aws or you know the advanced warning system and the advanced opportunity system so aos so you know it'll give you if you listen to what's happening in the contact center it'll give you an early warning uh you know um about something about to happen and you know, if it's it's uh, you know some there's a new opportunity, right? It, it'll be a early opportunity system as well in EOS. So, I think you're exactly right. The, the the example of the car and and maybe a recall that's about to come. If you hear from, you know, 100 customers they're having a particular problem uh, and there's a there's some you know statistical reason that's popping up, then you should jump on it as a as a car manufacturer and you could be save billions of dollars in you know class action lawsuits
0: tim i love that advanced, advanced warning system aws advanced opportunity system aos i don't know if you came up with that but if you did we should coin it it's yours <laughs> <laughs> yeah we can share the ip that's all right um, uh, so what do you think the contact center of 2030 is going to look like
1: you know, I think the contact center uh, is going to go through a Renaissance, uh, I think around AI uh, and around this codification of voice idea. And I think uh, for instance, what Balto does, uh, which I really love is the fact that you you know, give superpowers to the agent right in real time uh, by uh, arming them with uh, very subtle hints on what to say, how to say it, that makes the conversation more meaningful and more efficient. Um uh, and more fulfilling, uh, which is why the customer called you in the first place, right? But I think, Mark, if you stretch your, uh, you know, your, your imagination along the lines of directionally where this is going, right? From this really advanced uh, scripting and prompts that you give uh, contact center agents to make them give them superpowers, it's kind of the beginning of, uh, what we have talked about, uh, you know, for eons about this notion of a virtual agent, right. That, uh, is able to answer, uh, questions, um, in, in a way that, that it, it fulfills, you know, hundred percent of what you, what you want done. And I, I feel that, uh, this, this brain that you're developing and, and right now it's the brain of a two-year-old, right. Uh, with these prompts, but I think as you guys sit on, uh, and I forget the numbers, and maybe you can talk about that, like how many of billions of calls, uh, we've, we've analyzed, the two-year-old brain is going to become a six-year-old brain and the six-year-old brain is going to become a 12-year-old brain. And and very soon you will have, and by the way, this is on, obviously affected by the vertical context. So uh, the brain is trained in in a particular vertical because there's nuances and and context to that particular vertical. I think we begin to push in the direction of uh, a virtual agent, which uh, I think would be phenomenal because then the virtual agents can be deployed to do the more mundane questions that might come in, right? and then the current agent base can do the super specialized and more value-added stuff. So when I think about the virtual agents of the future, it's not about doing away with the great thing that contact centers do today. It's actually about expanding it and even making it more effective. So I feel that um, my prediction is that you are going to begin to see as this AI gets baked in and the emergence of this virtual uh, brain being developed by companies like Balto, uh, we will be, you know, and then five years from now, um, you know, looking at, you know, very high uh, accuracy uh, from this from this engine that can then be forward deployed to really, uh, you know, answer a lot of the questions that customers have. Because you would have heard them all and you would have answered them all, right? And from this body of knowledge, Comes this, um, uh, comes this automation, which gives very, very high degree of, of accuracy uh, uh, because it's a availability and accuracy two by two. The availability, you're already at 100%. The accuracy is always the question. I think it's going to come from companies like Balto and others that are innovating in this area.
0: Tim, I'll sign us off with a quick nugget here. Uh, one of the things I've been thinking about is uh, where does your data set come from? If you're trying to build a virtual assistant, for example, or uh, whatever it may be, where does the data set come from? And if you're doing uh, traditional post-call you know, speech analytics, um, your options are uh, either A, that you're you know, paying some sort of outsourced service like MTurk to uh, uh, be labeling your data set and saying, this was a happy customer, this was a sad customer, or whatever. Or um, option B is that, you're using the analysis of the calls, the correlations to try to figure out to do those labels and say this was a happy customer, this was a sad customer and you try to surface that and perhaps a supervisor, you know, says I agree or I don't agree. But one of the opportunities with real-time guidance that's so interesting is the ability for the agent right there in the moment on the call to vote and say I'm telling you what this was. I'm telling you this was a good call, a bad call, a good moment, a bad moment. Um, so um, in that way, when you're, the data source is the agent, um, that's almost the best way to create a representative picture of a perfect virtual agent is to combine all of this data from the agents themselves and how they would answer various questions and how they would act in various situations. Um so when you're doing, you know, real-time guidance, uh, you're uniquely able to do that. I think it's one of the the coolest opportunities in the space.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. Um, because I, I think uh, contact center is all about real time. Because if you wanted, you know, a lagged experience, you would not call the contact center. <laughs> So uh, I think the uh, companies that will innovate uh, and be at the cutting edge of this, this next cycle of growth are the ones that are real-time. And uh, that's why I invest in you guys. And I'm super bullish uh, uh, to see the future. You guys are amazing engineers and great business leaders. And uh, uh, just uh, it's fun to watch uh, watch the action from the cheap seats. So uh, thank you for, uh, for inviting me here today and uh, all that you do for your customers.
0: Tim, thank you. Thank you so much for everything and uh, really enjoyed it. Gotta have you back.
1: All right. Talk soon, Mark. Bye. See ya.